Welcome to the Disrupting Obesity Podcast. I'm Charlotte Skeins, and I'll be sharing ways to regain control over your body and lose an extreme amount of weight naturally. Being fat is about so much more than just the food. It's about your relationship with food. That means that dealing with your weight is about more than just the food too. You have to change that relationship. You have to start disrupting obesity. This is our third and final episode in the Saboteurs and Enablers series. If you missed the first two, it's probably a good idea to go back and give them a listen before you dive into this one, but it's definitely not mandatory. In episode 27, I talked about recognizing and coping with saboteurs, the people who do things to throw you off your weight loss game. In episode 28, I did the same thing with enablers, the people who help you to throw off your own game. Today, I'm going to talk about what to do when that person is you, when you're the one sabotaging and enabling the shit out of yourself. And really, that right there is most of us, most of the time. I did almost all of my most dangerous eating when I was alone. And by dangerous, I mean binging, saying to myself, I was only going to eat six cookies and then going back for three more and three more and three more until the box was gone. It's the eating I did where I wasn't even tasting the food, just eating it. Without outside accountability, a lot of us do our most dangerous eating when we're alone. It's the little bites you sneak when no one else is looking or the snacks you go get once everybody's in bed just as much as it's the cake at the office party or the pasta with your favorite enabler. When you're alone, all the constraints are gone. You don't have to worry that everyone thinks your portions are too big or that you shouldn't have chosen that. The only one judging you is you. And the desire to eat can be way louder than a lot of other things you feel like doing. There are no checks and balances in place other than the ones you enforce yourself. There's zero outside accountability. When you're alone, the distractions are gone. You have to face whatever realities the day or just your life in general has thrown at you. Without the judgment of others to help hold you in check, this can be the time when you eat your feelings. This is when you become your own saboteur and enabler. We've all got different motives, but you can be your own worst enemy. I think most of us are. Pre-eating, for sure, falls into this category. Just like some people pre-game with booze, some of us pre-game with food. Usually, it's because we're worried about being judged for how much we eat once we get there, or because we're worried there won't be enough food, or we won't like the food, or we want people to see us eating a small portion, or a certain kind of food, or just to cope with the stress and anxiety of whatever's coming. You eat a couple of burgers or a half a dozen tacos in your car so you can really enjoy the salad when you get to the restaurant. That. I binge at night when I'm alone. I have serious self-control issues, and it's so much worse when I'm on my own. I also enjoy food more when I'm alone, and it's always been worse for me at night. That's how I landed on my intermittent fasting schedule. Some coaches would argue that if you've got an issue with night binging, you should just stop eating at night altogether. But I went the exact opposite way with this one. The more I tried to restrict myself at night, the worse the binges got. So I started eating exclusively at night, only after six, which meant I did a fair bit of eating on my own. Eating alone isn't a bad thing. It's the reasons behind why you're doing it that can be problematic. If it's a matter of self-control, then your mindset needs to start to come into play. You have to become aware of when you don't have the self-control you need so that you can do something about it other than eat. I found the silence 
was the worst, even with my earbuds in or the TV on. It's a mental silence when the pressures of the day have ended. There's no one or anything left pulling at you. It's just you and the reality of whatever you're trying to deal with or trying to not deal with. And this is when you start reaching for comfort in the form of food. So there's nothing inherently wrong with eating alone. The problem is when you eat your feelings instead of dealing with them. It's the reasons behind eating alone that are problematic. If eating on your own is situational, like because you live alone, it's not a big deal. But if you're seeking solitude out so that you can stress eat, you need to stop and find a better way to cope. Okay, so tonight after the kids go to bed, I'm probably going to feel bored and tired and I'll want to eat chips and then some of that leftover cake. Well, if I know that every night when the kids go to bed, I start mindlessly munching, I can have a plan. I'm aware of it. You can't change what you can't see. And while you might know that you pretty much always raid the fridge about an hour after the little monkeys go down, if you've never sat down and thought about it, acknowledged that mindless munching at night is something that you do, how are you going to change it? How will you become accountable for it? That's the 3A way in a nutshell. I break that down in episode 12, if you missed that one. Um, awareness, and acknowledgement, accountability. Those are the keys to changing your relationship with food and one of the very first things that I teach all of my new clients. It's a helpful tool here as you look at the reasons behind your problematic solo eating. You can't change what you can't see. You just can't. You've got to actively be looking at this stuff. You become more aware by thinking about what you're doing and asking yourself why you're doing it. If you're pre-gaming at Taco Bell before certain family functions or gatherings with your bridge club or whatever, you need to take a look at it. Think about it. Is there a pattern here? Are you only pre-gaming when a certain person is going to be there or when it's held at a particular place? What's going on behind the scenes with you that's leading you to make this choice? Something I hear over and over is that by looking for things, for seeing them for what they are, people find that the issue changes. Becoming aware of something is enough to change the way you handle it just because you see it. It's an awesome thing and it's super empowering. Once you see something, you've already changed the way you interact with it because up until that moment, you couldn't. It wasn't possible to interact with something you weren't aware of, not in the active way that you're doing now. You figure out that when you sit down after you've got everything done and the apartment is quiet, that's when you reach for the Cheetos. So you make a mental note of it, or maybe you make an actual note of it. It sounds like a food routine. And then the next time you sit down with the cheesies, you remember that you realized it was a food routine, so you put a handful back, or three of them back, slightly less, an incremental change. Those are the kind of wins that awareness is going to breed for you. When the way you usually cope with your feelings is to eat, and you eat the foods you find the most comforting when you're alone, it makes sense that you just naturally, probably subconsciously if it's a deeply ingrained habit, you're naturally going to wait until you're alone to start processing those emotions. You binge away your feelings. I'm in no way against eating on your own. It's no different than eating with any other trigger person. You just need the 3A way. You've got to become aware of what's going on with you when you're eating alone. You need to acknowledge the issues that you see and that come up, and then you become accountable by working on changing the patterns that aren't working for you and setting new boundaries for yourself 
with yourself. One of the most significant ways you do that is by taking a really good look at the way you talk to yourself about food. I have a very specific way I talk to myself about food. I tell myself that food is fuel. It isn't a reward mechanism for my psyche, no matter how much I want it to be. Food is something that my body needs to function. The choices that I make about that food determine how well my body actually does function. I can still use food to reward myself, to stave off boredom, sadness, grief, whatever, but I have to be aware of it and I have to be accountable to myself and to my tracking about it. When I was morbidly obese, I thought I could never be the person who could have a handful of chips or just a little bit of ice cream and not want more. I had to have the whole bag of chips, the entire tub of ice cream, just bowl after bowl after bowl. I thought I would always be miserable unless I could have it all. And you might be sitting there thinking a few of your own, I could never statements right now. I could never live without chocolate, without pop, without eating as much as I want. We've all got I could never statements that we make. I could never only crave things my body actually needs. I could never live without my eat the whole pizza Friday nights. But absolutes are super limiting. And those limiting statements are dangerous because they're a lie, but you believe yourself when you say it, especially when you say it over and over. I swear to you that what you crave can and will change. What you enjoy can and will change. And that can be really scary. It's new. It's not what you know. And it isn't something that you necessarily think that you want. The way you talk to yourself about food will change. You'll start asking yourself things like, am I really enjoying this anymore? Do I really want to keep eating? Why do I keep telling myself I don't like new things? You have to think about the way you talk to yourself about food. Do you tell yourself that you always hate new foods? That's a great example of this. I used to tell myself I hated vegetables. I didn't. I was mostly afraid to try them, and telling myself over and over again that I didn't like them gave me really solid footing for never having to eat them. You believe the things you tell yourself, so start telling yourself something new, and you don't have to flip to the opposite. You're not going to convince yourself of that anyway. Just change it a little bit. Instead of, I hate vegetables, tell yourself, I haven't liked the ones I've tried. It doesn't negate your previous experience with the overcooked Brussels sprouts and the watery turnip, but it leaves you open to grilled zucchini that doesn't go mushy and make you gag. In the same way, you need to change your internal dialogue away from things like, I can't lose weight and keep it off, to, I haven't done it before, but that doesn't mean I can't do it now. You need to change what you're telling yourself about the food you're choosing to eat. As you're making changes to the way you're talking to yourself about food, apply the same logic that we do to making changes to the food that you're eating. Small, incremental, and sustainable changes are the way to go. Don't try to sell yourself lies. If leafy green salads have always made you gag, telling yourself that you love them probably isn't going to be overly convincing for very long. Don't try and shift into a completely opposite opinion. That's not going to work either. Small shift. Turn an absolute into a kind of. If you hate something, you just haven't liked it the way you've tried it. If you've always or never done something, try adding the word yet. I can't blank yet. I always fail. No, I haven't figured out how to do it yet. It's a little shift. No absolutes. 
Something new might just be acknowledging the feelings behind your choices. It's okay to eat to comfort, reward, or cope, or because you want to. It's not okay to do it without being honest with yourself about what you've chosen to eat. Eating to comfort yourself is what you've always done. The new bit here is honest awareness about it. I can be feeling super sad about my dad, overwhelmed with missing him, and then the next thing you know, an entire bag of marshmallows is gone. Just gone. I don't actually feel any better about my dad. He is also gone. And odds are pretty good that the marshmallows didn't actually make me feel much better at all. But those marshmallows have super real consequences, like my diabetes and the fact that I don't want to gain my weight back. I have a choice, though. Say I really want those marshmallows still, because they take me back to campfires, or maybe just because they're there and I really want something sweet to help me cope with my stress and my grief. I can have the marshmallows. I can be super present with those marshmallows. I can think about them while I'm eating them. Think about him while I'm eating them. Think about that campfire. Whatever. Insert your memories or triggers here. My daily calorie total can more than likely handle the hit. And if I'm super mindful about the experience, I can make fewer marshmallows seem like more. I can make them seem as satisfying as more. If you're not paying attention to what you're eating, you have to ask yourself why you're eating it. And if you're looking for more on making less food seem as satisfying as more food, that's all in episode 25, Present and Mindful Eating. Something else to consider is that if you don't binge, if you track and space out your calories instead, you don't have to worry about adding shame, remorse, and guilt to the feelings that you're already trying to deal with or trying to not deal with. When I'm feeling about my dad, just feeling, the last thing I want to do is heap more negative emotions onto the pile. And I certainly don't want to start associating thinking about my dad with feeling guilty and remorseful. Changing the way you talk to yourself about the food you're eating is a great place to start your deeper mindset work. And it's important you get a solid handle on that dialogue that you're having with yourself. Because you believe the things you tell yourself, right? So you have to think about the way you talk to yourself about food. And it's important to question if you're still enjoying what you're eating, if you want to keep eating it, or if you've had enough. You need to look at the things you believe about your relationship with food. What are your always and never statements? What do you believe you always do or never do? What foods do you hate? How long have you hated them? When was the last time you tried it? Have you ever tried it prepared more than one or two ways? What foods do you love? How long have you loved them? What is it about them that you love? The tangible part. You love it because it's sweet or crunchy or it tastes really good. Are there other reasons that you love it? An emotional connection. Does it remind you of someone or somewhere? Being honest with yourself about the reasons you've chosen to eat something signals a big shift for a lot of people. When someone is used to eating without thinking about it, much beyond like that they want to eat, there's no awareness. And since you can't change what you can't see, finding a way to become aware of the reasons behind your choices is critical. It's also important for you to acknowledge that eating the food without awareness of why you're doing it doesn't actually make you feel better in the long run. Marshmallows don't make my grief over my dad go away. No matter how many I eat, he will always be gone. The same goes for my lost pregnancies. Gone is gone. The marshmallows fix nothing. 
but they do end up making me feel worse. They don't make my grief worse, but they do make other feelings worse that distract me from my grief for a little bit, right? It's a lot easier to feel bad about myself, to push myself into shitty feelings about my lack of control and myself generally, and that will distract me from thinking about my dead father. It's a great psychological mechanism. It's a whole lot easier to sit with feeling bad about me than it is to feel bad about not having him. I can set off a guilt and shame spiral where I just keep feeling worse about myself. Or I can be super mindful about those marshmallows, have a few, have the memories, have a little cry, and keep going. I have to keep going anyway. It's the mindfulness that makes this work. It makes a handful of marshmallows as satisfying as the whole bag over time. By realizing that I want the marshmallows because they remind me of my dad, by being present with them and with the memories and the feelings that they bring up, I can eat less for the same emotional payoff. Being present is a terrific safety net. If you're not paying attention to what you're eating, you have to ask yourself why you're eating it. When we first started talking about eating alone, I mentioned that sometimes it's when you don't have other people around you that you start to eat your feelings, that you can become your own saboteur and enabler. And I stand by that. There's probably nobody who knows how to set you off better than yourself. You usually need to take a deep breath before you start to look at this stuff, and I mean it. Confronting the ways you derail and perpetuate your own crap behavior and choices is hard. It's not a lot of fun, but it's very necessary. Nobody likes to get called out. We don't like doing it to ourselves either, but you have to do it if you're going to get to the bottom of things and get a handle on your obesity. You sabotage yourself in a million different ways, and the same goes for enabling. You're probably pretty familiar with some of the concrete ways, the direct ways that you're derailing your own efforts. Having food in the house you know you can't stop yourself from binging on, going to restaurants where there aren't any good choices at all, not bringing yourself a better option to the work thing or the social thing or the family thing. There are loads of concrete examples. I could do this for hours. The way you do your grocery shopping, grabbing a couple extra burgers for later on when you hit McDonald's for dinner. So many ways to derail your own train. But there are abstract ways that you sabotage yourself too. The way you set yourself up for emotional failure with a trigger person, knowing that you'll turn to food afterwards. The way you set yourself up for failure when you were at the grocery store and told yourself that you, oh, I'll only be able to eat a little bit. I can do it. Not speaking up and wishing that you could go somewhere else to eat, somewhere that maybe doesn't only serve pizza. When you look at the reasons behind those decisions, you can start to get to the bottom of what's really driving your choices. Why didn't you tell your friends you'd rather eat somewhere else? Why didn't you bring a lunch to the office on Friday? You knew all week that Friday's takeout bonanza was coming. Why did you lie to yourself at the grocery store? As you become aware of the sabotage, you can start to ask yourself why you're doing it in the first place. And it's very important that you do. Sit down and think about the ways you sabotage or enable yourself. Go through a typical day. Look for times when you're doing the opposite of what you need to do to be healthy. Ask yourself how you got there. In what way did you sabotage or enable your behavior and your choices? And it doesn't have to be a big overt gesture, like buying an entire cheesecake. Enabling usually comes in the form of garbage self-talk. The conversations that start with, I can stop after a little bit, and end in, oh, I've already had this much, I might as well just keep going. 
those are more destructive than putting the cheesecake into the cart. It was also the garbage self-talk that got the cheesecake into the cart, also in your hand, and it probably got you in that aisle. What were you doing wandering in the bakery section? That's not a helpful mindset choice. I know this can feel pretty confrontational, but that's not always a bad thing. Losing an extreme amount of weight is all about confronting your relationship with food. And even though it's really hard to admit and to fully acknowledge, you're your own worst trigger person. There's nobody who can set you off the way you can, even when you don't realize that you're doing it. That's why it's so important that you become as aware as you can. It's why it's so important to really look at and make a mindset shift to the dialogue that you have with yourself while you're eating. Even if you're eating your usual portion of your most favorite food ever, you need to start asking yourself if you're enjoying it, if you want to keep eating it. Is eating this portion what I want now, or is it just a habit that I have? All this questioning is about shifting your perspective, seeing things differently. The easiest way to do that is to question what you're doing now. If you don't have a firm grasp on what you're doing, it's pretty hard to make any changes right? I mean, you, you can't change what you can't see. What do you tell yourself about food? Start paying attention to the way you react to foods on TV, at the grocery store, when your friends are talking about recipes, whatever. You believe yourself when you say you hate water or vegetables or anything whole grain. Hate is pretty absolute. Water is necessary and there's so much range to vegetables and grains that I'm betting you haven't tried all of them yet. But not liking these things, or whatever your limiting belief is, that fits a lot better with a narrative that keeps you locked in a guilt and shame spiral and keeps you eating. Make small incremental changes to your self-talk, small shifts. I can't language becomes I haven't yet language. I haven't found a grain bread that I like yet. No lies. That recognizes the ones that you've tried. It leaves you open to finding something that might work for you. Even if you don't, this is more about the mindset shift than it is about whether or not you discover the joys of Swiss chard. Changing my self-talk really started when I started asking myself if I'd had enough of whatever it was I was eating to satisfy the reason I was eating it. So I'm eating mushroom risotto because I'm sad and overwhelmed. How much is enough? I don't have to eat all of it, so how much do I need to feel satisfied? Asking yourself questions like these is what's going to change your relationship with food. And that's the real goal. Yeah, it's getting the weight off, but you're not going to keep it off if you can't change your relationship. Keep trying, keep tracking, don't be intimidated, and don't give up. You totally got this. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Obesity with Charlotte Skeynes. If you know it's time to take back control, lose the weight and keep it off, reach out to me privately with a direct message on Instagram that says ready so you can start disrupting obesity.